Welcome to the Bar Hacks Podcast. Engaging interviews, plus tips and strategies to navigate your bar or restaurant business towards sustainable success. Now, here's your host, hospitality industry veteran, journalist, and editor, David Klempt. Hey, welcome back to the Bar Hacks Podcast. I have a newer brand to discuss with you, and we have the master blender here, Andres Fastanelli from Bareface Whiskey, which is a Canadian brand. How's it going? Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank uh, you for being here. Looking forward for this chat and uh, conversation about a really cool topic, I think. I think so. I think not only is this a different approach to Canadian whiskey, but it's a different approach to whiskey. So I love it. And the bottle's really cool looking. Actually, before we start, if you could share the social media and the website, people can check the bottle out now while we talk. Absolutely. So barefacewhiskey.com. So you get to access. You're going to be asked if you're in Canada or U.S. Because in Canada, we have like some new other whiskeys because we have been in the market since 2018 and here we're pretty new. So you can sneak peek still in the Canadian <laughs> site. Uh, why not? Our Instagram is Bareface Whiskey. Simple, simple as li- like that. The whole concept of Bareface is really breaking and entering in the category of whiskey and being really unapologetic, especially coming from Canada. We ask a lot of like, sorry and uh, and we're very like uh, nice people. Uh, Bareface is trying to be a little bit more upfront and uh, and trying to just uh, bring the whiskey discussion somewhere else. So we're going to maybe deep uh, deep dive into that and uh, all of and just also to Ameri- my accent. <laughs> <laughs> and for the American audience, that's whiskey without the e. I was always right. taught that it's uh, if a country doesn't have e in the name, it's W S K Y. And if it does have an E in its name, then it has the E before the Y. Not if it's actually true, but it seems to work out that way. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, it's a good way. So before we jump into Bareface, which again has a really cool look to it, it's got a really cool story. How did you get your start in spirits and distillation and blending? I have a very weird career because I started actually as a, an economist by education. All right. uh, when I graduated, uh, I'm, I'm Venezuelan born. I grew up in Italy I, and, uh, and really started my career in, in Venezuela when I graduated in Italy. So very weird background and, and I have a French passport and I live between San Francisco and Kelowna that is British Columbia. So been a, <laughs> a journey so far. So uh, I started as economist and then my first job was trading commodities, right? So I was all about trading papers, making money out of that. And uh, one day I felt a disconnection between, you know, uh, this uh, commodity world and, and the actual real world of delivery of commodities. So I, I, I started looking and I found a job to start buying malted barley for a big brewery. And uh, was not to buy some malted barley, was buying shipments, like uh, Olympic swimming pools of malted barley. So I remember the, 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 the first delivery um, in the port comes this massive shipment. All, all the grain was for me. They opened the top and me and the quality guy, we decide to jump. Like you're jumping in a swimming pool. 
when that jump was the beginning of everything. Like that connection finally with the physical, you know, physical grain was for me like the beginning of absolutely everything then in my career. So from there, uh, I shifted gears and I started moving molasses to make rum. So one commodity to another, way more complicated because molasses is not really a commodity. And uh, depending on the, the origin is very bad or very good. And really to make really good rum is not an easy choice. And from there, I started contracting distillation. So I'm going to deliver you the molasses. Let's make rum. So I, I was literally, I transitioned from commodity to distillation by contracting the distillation itself. And I started working in different programs that were rum related. And one day I got the opportunity to actually be moved uh, and invited to leave uh, Venezuela and come to US and work from Chicago actually for three years and a half. And the task was to take care of whiskey. We had a brand uh, when I was invited that uh, didn't have a distillery called the pretty famous right now, Bullet. And, and they needed a guy to find distillation capacity, distillers we could partner with. And I was the guy in kind of behind that. And also I was tasked to actually look at uh, a little bit the strategy behind. It was on, not only me, like it's a big company, but it was a cool job. So I had the opportunity to be exposed to that. And then one day in my search, like from beer, rum, whiskey, I got the opportunity to move to the West Coast and take care of wine. So I was invited by a wine family in Sonoma to make wine, but also to make spirits with them. So I started developing tequilas, mezcal, and, uh, and, and in some ways was a journey of learning and seeing things across different categories. And um, again, always me behind the scene, finding the, the makers that would make something amazing for me. Until uh, one day I got the opportunity, a call from Canada about, uh, are you interested to explore a new to world Canadian whiskey? And I'm like, of course, yes. And I will explain why the yes. And, and the yes was not motivated really by me stepping in another whiskey category. Uh, was more about the freedom of the regulation in Canada. I was so amazed, but not seeing a lot going on from quality innovation. I'm not talking about flavored whiskeys that has a lot of like uh, technique behind, but I'm thinking more premium whiskey, but what we can do better and different in Canada because we don't have the rules and, uh, and we have a lot of like freedom. So if I have that freedom, what I, sh what I can do with, uh, with ca Canada, right? How we can showcase Canada in different ways. So for me, it was like, it, today is my life, like a mission. And it's been like, uh, since 2016, I started the journey. So it's been already a number of years. I started as finding some cask. Now we're sitting on 10,000 cask of whiskey. Uh, okay. It's a proper program. We keep investing everything behind so this is really about growing and and really challenging the status quo of whiskey um, big frustration for me canada makes probably 40 to 45 million cases of whiskey but with the label canadian whiskey only 30 so there are 15 million cases of whiskey that are unknown in different places 
they're being blended with other whiskeys and uh, we don't know, right? Without mentioning, there are like some appellations like Japanese whiskey that just changed regulation very recently. So there is, there is some like rumors behind that, like <laughs> what was going into Japan, right? And, and again, we don't want to do a podcast on speculation, but you can, <laughs> you can, you can land like some conclusions. So that's kind of the journey. And, uh, and, and again, this is the first time I'm, I'm really frontline uh, on a brand, but uh, we can dig uh, as deep as we want, of course. Where does the name Bareface come from? The reason for me to avoid a family story and a tradition was like, this is a new world whiskey, completely new. And, and the intention is like a bear break and enter in the whiskey category. So let's uh, be, let's face it, like we want to be bareface. So we want to really be that brand that actually doesn't unapologetically wants to get in to the whiskey category and play in grounds that no one else is playing realistically. So through the process, through the way we approach aging, uh, finishing, and we call it differently. And, uh, and, and we're creating a crowd in Canada already because the brand is already been there for four years already. Uh, a crowd that is expecting what is next. And I love that. Like, uh, and everyone is chasing and trying to figure it out what, what else we're going to be doing. So uh, that's kind of, and now this journey is starting in US too. So I, I'm super eager to see how that develops here. In the U.S., we get the triple expression and you use three barrels. Correct. So if you could maybe walk us through what each characteristic those barrels impart on the liquid, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I wanted just to take bourbon and flip it upside down. So Bareface start with saying, since I don't have a rule, how I can make a better whiskey if I'm not forced to start with a char virgin cask? What if I start with a very old cask? I move into a not so old cask and I finish with a virgin cask. So the whole layering process of Barefish was let's to layer flavors and really ensure the other cask matters. You cannot start with a super peppery, green, grain sack forward whiskey. You can't. So you need to start with a very nice honey, like very round, but very, very nice canvas. And then to, over that, you can layer. So I start with a slow process in the American oak, ex-bourbon, second or cycle cask. So we age for seven years at least. In the 10,000 cask we have, we have a bunch that is one year old, two years old. So we have all the progression. We have, we have even older than that, 13 years old, and we don't know what to do yet. But uh, we're in that process of very slow traditional aging, but very, very old casks too. Uh, we want quality, so we wait double, usually most of like Canadian whiskey, so seven years. Uh, a Canadian whiskey is a Canadian whiskey in the moment you hit three years. So we have been like aging a little longer, and we start with that canvas. So every batch is select 160 or 64 cask, depending on how much uh, liters I get out. And uh, I combine them, I rack them. This is more from the wine jargon, but uh, we rack them, put them together, 
and I ship them to BC. So they start the first aging in Ontario. And then because the corn grows in, in Ontario, in Canada, so it's where we want to be close to the source. Again, I'm a grain guy, so I don't want to do something far from the source. And then we ship the whiskey across the whole country to BC. And in Kelowna, I have containers outside and we fill the whiskey into a hundred wine casks. So 160 becomes a hundred and they go inside these shipping containers. Uh, the shipping containers are exposed to the weather. So I'm doing exactly what usually the industry doesn't do. You want in the whiskey industry predictability of how a cask is going to taste after a certain amount of time. And I'm deciding, no, we're going. Whatever the weather, let's embrace what is coming through the weather. You can have extreme heat like last year, the heat dome, extreme cold. And you start like... Uh, having these containers by season. So you have the summer container, the fall container, the winter container, the, the spring container. And you start like really seeing how a roller coaster temperature in a container, there is just a weather enhancer with the whiskey, uh, what it makes to the whiskey. It's a transformation, it's not a whiskey finishing process. Finishing doesn't even pay tribute because the whiskey changed completely color because uh, these wine casks are used only once. So a lot of color from the wine. You get all of the dry fruits, balsamic, uh, apricot, some of these acid interesting notes from the wine, but also the fruit, uh, the dry fruit roundness. And, uh, and then from there, you select of 100. 70. Why? Because it's unpredictable. So there are casks that are not working. So you recast them. And then you go into virgin cask in which you regain control. You are like, okay, now we're regaining control. And then you go into different type of toasting of virgin Hungarian that is being air dry for three years. This part is really important. Uh, whiskey casks are cheap compared with wine cask, wine quality cask. So a whiskey cask virgin cost $180, today probably $250, but a wine cask is $1,800 to $1,000. Why? Because the staves, instead of drying them in, in massive ovens, kiln dry them to make a whiskey cask, for the quality of wine, you need to let it sit outside for three years. So you need to age the staves before you make the cask. So when you use high quality air dry staves, to make cask, our Hungarian oak, that's the final oak. So we start the American ex-bourbon, French ex-wine. Now we go virgin Hungarian. It's super high quality. And we go into this different toasting for different reasons. Three type of toast. So these 70, I select, I rack them again, and they go in three type of toasting. And then I blend the final three components into my whiskey. So it's a process that happens sometimes over a year because uh, the season don't help. So if I have a very hot season, I cannot blend that itself. So I need to wait for, for winter to come to balance. Transition season are easy because I have a little bit of everything in, in, in the fall, in the spring. And, and what is amazing about the Kelowna area, the Okanagan Valley is a, is a very, is a secret in Canada, but it's a top like wine region in Canada is absolutely incredible because they have uh, the perfect conditions, but also they are more north. So uh, you, you have this perfect roller coaster of dry and hot, 
humid and cold every day and happens more in the transitional season and in the summer it goes up and down the humidity and temperature they are like uh, crossing each other so when i open inside the containers the top and i don't use wood tops because i cannot take them out like really because the pressure the pressure builds up is so powerful that when you open pops like a champagne the cask pops oh. literally so uh, this is kind of a a, a a natural way to do it is a is is a lot more work as a blender than any other probably whiskey blends because you, there is unpredictability so it's like you're reaching the same mountain top but every time you need to take a different trail because there was something in the other trail that happened so that's it's kind of the way i love the work because i feel like is really crafted at the end of the day, the, the, the whole batching process. Every batch is, is a different effort. Every batch, batch by batch. I'd imagine by now there are collectors who are looking for the different batches or they're expecting different batch numbers because- Yeah, one day we're going to put like the dates. We're, we're, we're still about to, to take that decision. One day we're going to have the geo like location of the container and the temperature that you can scan and you can see that bottle, how was the roller coaster? What happened in temperature, humidity, but we're still working on that. But that's kind of the coolness behind. We can, again, there is so much we can dig behind. That's, uh, that's kind of uh, being, what is the, the, the cool part of the project is exactly that. We, we can always dig into the details of the liquid. And so it was the, the kind of openness of the laws that helped you process or develop the process of elemental aging, as yeah. you called on the website. Are you one of the first to use the shipping containers to age spirits? I'm not the first because it's being used when you open a new distillery. The first thing you do, you put a container to age. But I'm the one that is embracing it with no, not trying to hide that. Actually being, being really happy about and really embracing the process itself. There is no brand that really showcases like a main point of like, this is what we're doing. This is what we are proud, right? Uh, there is no brand looking for that, like the, to really uh, be excited about the containers. Most of the brands, they are not. And we are, we're super excited about. Well, I imagine they impart some terroir too, because now yeah. you've got the elements, you have BC, well, and Ontario and BC coming into the, yeah. to the bottle. So as for our audience, what do the temperature swings do to a, to a whiskey when it goes extreme uh, cold or extreme hot? The wood relaxes and then contracts. So the wood and the whiskey do the same. So it's kind of a two forces. It's hot. The whiskey is going to expand. The wood is going to contract. And then when it's humid and, and cold the same day, because it's, it's, very, it's a roller coaster within the day, most of the time, I would say 50% of the time is like that. Uh, you go the opposite. The whiskey is retracting and, and the wood is, uh, is like opening. So it's very, it's, uh, it's extremely interactive between the wood and the, the whiskey. Actually, what is super cool I evaporate more water than alcohol. So when I get into containers, I go in in 75 ABV. And when I get out, I'm 77. So 
ABV just goes up and up and up because when it's hot, it's dry. So you lose more water than alcohol. So it just sounds like you're getting a really an engaging and active product when you open the bottle that you can probably really taste what the whiskey has gone through instead of just being finished in a, in a particular barrel and that's the note that you get. Especially when I do, uh, I do a lot of that deconstruction tasting in which I, people can taste what happened before the container, what happened after the container, and then what happened when there is a virgin cask also. So they can see the three stages. And, and literally what I can say before the container, what you taste is the front, what you taste today in Bareface. The container is going to give the meat palate the roundness. And the fact that it's a very interesting, simple uh, tasting note that is, is a smooth but bold at the same time. So it's kind of a contradiction. Uh, usually you are very smooth and laid back or very barrel forward and strong. We can be both because actually the structure is on the back because of the process. So it's a whiskey that is not going to be laid back. Taste at the beginning very easy, but then becomes big on the back. And you can get spice and, and a lot of component. And I get asked all the time, it's like, oh, this is a rye. And it's like, no, it's a 100% corn, but doesn't taste like a corn sack. So because of the process, I had the, the, to make a choice in 2017, actually, uh, when I was halfway through the process. And I, I had to make a choice. Like I had the, a budget to invest in some rye whiskey younger to blend into the older uh, corn whiskey. And I took that budget and invested in Hungarian oak, high quality oak. I'm like, no one is bringing really wine quality oak into whiskey. Like most of whiskey brands don't do that. And I will save on my mash bill and I will just focus on, on the oak. That, that was the key decision through the journey. Hi there, just a quick message before we get you back to this episode. If you're looking to take your bar, restaurant, or hospitality business to the next level, I mean to profits of 12 to 15% or more, it's time to take action. Let's start creating your roadmap to success with our proprietary strategies, tools, resources that will inspire your team, activate your potential, and lead your hospitality brand to margins you never thought possible. Visit krghospitality.com right after this episode for more information. Now, back to the Bar Hacks podcast. So this is probably a difficult question to answer, but as a master blender, how much whiskey do you think you, you taste in a year? Oh my God. <laughs> Just give you a sense. Like every batch is 160 cask. I don't taste 160 cask, but I need to taste some of them, right? Right. Like, so you can guess is the number of them. <laughs> then in the 100 cask, I select one from 170 every batch. And then I need to taste like uh, the compounds component, like that is probably a few casks also of each. So every batch, probably, uh, there are 50 whiskey, ta whiskey tastings, right? 50. Oh. <laughs> uh, in different moments, it's not the same day. Forget, right. after you taste 20, you don't, you don't taste, I would say. Like, <laughs> That's true. Uh, and you tend to limit that. You don't want to get taste too much, but... If you split it in days, every batch, and I do probably five batches a year. So in a year, probably, yeah, is, uh, you have quite a bit, like uh, easily 250, 300 tasting of uh, whiskey. So, uh, and, and you get to know, it's like your baby. So you understand, it's like, well, this is what happened. This is, uh, 
why this is tasting like that? Oh, maybe it's because we had this weather this day and remember the temperature that day. And, and you, you get all these, uh, you, you start getting more geek over time and, and you start to know your cask, right? Little by little, you, 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 you have an idea of what to expect. What I love, every time I found an unexpected cask, I don't use it. I don't try to fix a, a deviation. I actually keep it for future releases. So a lot of future releases are, are things that I love it, but they are not part of the blend of my triple oak, like uh, the elementally aged perfect that has the tree oak. Yeah, I think there's a misconception with people who maybe don't know spirits a lot or whiskey in particular that the blending is just, oh, I, it's, I just can get a bunch of whiskeys and throw them together and put my label on it. but you know what expression you're going for. You know what your core is. You know what your experimentations are going to be. And you can pick out notes that you go, oh, this, like I said, it's not ready now, but this is going to be an awesome batch down the road or part of it also. 100%. 100%. I always explain in this way. Distillation gives you letters of the alphabet. A distillation is very precise. Like you get what you want. Like you, you control everything. It's high control situation. When that letter of the alphabet got, got into a cask and age, becomes letters, right? The, the letters transform into words. So the letters of the alphabet become something. They're telling you something. And then when you blend, you tell a story. You, you actually put together all these words together and you tell a story. And there is always so much uh, appreciation for distillation when realistically the back end of the process is the craziest complex one. And Barefist made it even more complicated. Like I created a process that probably is going to get me the job until I'm 70 or 80 years old. So I have probably 20 to 30 years still to go. When you first revealed the process, what was the reaction? Did you get any pushback or is it just, this is going to be a lot of work. I hope you're, you're happy with it. I'm a magician to explain a very complex <laughs> process in a very simple way. Depends. If I'm in a, in a very whiskey forward forum, probably I will be super detailed. But if I'm sitting with the, with the investors, with the people that are going to invest, I try to simplify the concept to them. And also because innovation is never scalable on the first day, never. And then if you start putting in your mind limits to innovation that the first day you design a process, you will never do it, simply. If I, sure. I, if, if I start looking the way we, we, I created Bareface when I'm backing between 2016 and 17, I, I did it inside the winery that you shouldn't, like the whole blending process. And why I pick up a winery to help me is because I needed a place people are used to touch cask. Like whiskey distillery, don't, they, they distill, feel it, and forget about them. They don't want to be touching cask, tasting from cask over the middle of the process. They don't want to send you samples sometimes. It's, it's a pain to ask for samples. And realistically, when you are in a place in which wine, you need to take care every day. Like the casks are being taken care every day. So you have... The, the philosophy and mentality. So a, a foundational point of in, in innovation for me is ask the wrong people the right questions. So bring people from outside always 
Always. Like the guy doing the Hungarian oak is a cooper in Napa that makes only wine cask. Only for me makes my cask for the whiskey program. But his focus is really wine. Wrong people. The guys in the cellars that when they are filling the cask before they go into the containers are wine guys. And because they're used to. So the bong, like the, the, the way we close the cask is uh, with the, what they use for the wine because they're opening and closing the cask all the time. So we're kind of, we, we created these in a very different way. Now you ask me, is a headache? Yes, it's going to be, we're growing and becoming how we can get these out of these collaborations. Uh, but that's the beauty of the challenge. That's the beauty of a different process. This is the beauty of innovation. Innovation is messy. It's, it's not linear. And if you want to make it linear, you don't make innovation. Very simple. Forget about it. It will never happen. So switching gears a little bit, you mentioned that those of us in America won't know yet that you know, Canada's got some cool, cool new <laughs> stuff coming. But can you share what some of the Canadian expressions are beyond the triple O's? The first one we launched, that was the impossible blend. So I, my challenge was, what if I can show in, like uh, across the country how we can blend whiskey with components that people would never think you blend? So there is a rule in Canada that usually is uh, used a lot to simplify the job, right? It's called the flavoring rule. The flavoring rule allows for adding 9.09% of any spirit as long as it's been aged two years into a whiskey, still call it a whiskey. And what happened very often there, uh, you can add some cognac, but also you can add cheap uh, wine or, or a sherry wine directly, right? I took that rule and I call it the series 111, that is 9.09%, 111 in which the concept was, I will be blending the impossible. So I will be blending one part of 11 of this whiskey is not a whiskey. And I will tell you actually exactly what it is because no one tells you that. I decided to tell everyone. So I blended a, a mezcal añejo because it needed to be two years old with whiskey. Then combined the two components and aged in a virgin French oak cask. And we created a very limited series. They're about to disappear because we, were, we always do something different. But that was super fun because even the bartenders were like, wow, I, I would never blend whiskey and, and agave. It would never happen. And actually, it tasted incredibly well. It was like birthday candles and bacon was the tasting profile to me. It was amazing. You, you got a little bit of the wax and smoke of a candle from the mezcal, but you had like a lot of fat development in the mouth uh, uh, from the whiskey interaction and the French oak, there is floral, was really, really fun and uh, became like uh, a, a way to showcase what we can do in Canada, really, that you cannot do in, uh, in other places. So that, that was number one. And the second iteration that is now available, just being launched across Canada, is a whiskey there is a you is as a forage ingredient so i went foraging in the mountains in bc uh, the mountains are it's called the monashi mountains and it's between uh, the the okanagan lake and the rockies the canadian rockies and and there is a mushroom that grows there that is called matsutake 
Matsutake is an amazing mushroom. If you have the opportunity to try it, it's absolutely incredible. It's, uh, it's very respected in Japan, but grows in the Pacific Northwest and especially in that area in BC. And um, I realized foraging in the middle of the pandemic that this was the taste was so whiskey to me, like spoke to whiskey so much and, and ended up with this reasoning. Think about a dry martini without the olive would never be the way you, you expect from a dry martini. You want that savory piece happening. If I had the opportunity of the olive for the whiskey, what is that? And for me, I came to the conclusion is the Matsutake. It's an umami layer over a whiskey that is unique and is a multiplier of the underlying flavors of the whiskey. It's not a mushroom whiskey. Tastes like a proper traditional sherry cast finish, but with a touch that you are like, wow, what is that? And is the umami from the mushroom. So I did sherry cask exploration, PX Amontillado cream sherry. Then I did some, I combined some of the experimental casks that I never use in the regular program. They were like so wine forward that I couldn't use them because uh, I could taste almost only wine because these were casks. We did the fermentation in the cask of, with the wine. We empty the wine and the skins and then we put it the, the whiskey in. So it was so wine forward that I couldn't use it. So I combined that component with all the sherry exploration and we added this accent of umami from the mushroom cask that actually I went foraging for 10 days. And every day you come, you clean, you inspect, and you open the U-hole and you have three casks full of whiskey. You open the top, you put like the, 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 the mushroom inside. So we did that. We combine it, and and again today is uh, yeah, it's an um, it's an amazing whiskey. It's like uh, it's super fun. I can already picture the the bartenders trying to come up with uh, an old fashioned riff with a garnish of mushrooms on it. I can yeah, already, and then and then I did dry, it. and then <laughs> I did dry all the mushrooms. So we dry them up, and uh, after the whiskey, right, and then we ship it to bartenders across Canada. So play, do tinctures. Do something with it, like just have fun. And the price point is uh, pretty low because I didn't. I am against snobism in whiskey, so for me it was I want this to be available for bartenders. Like this is a is is a toy for them. So let's give them the the toy for them to play. And uh, we gave them a very easy access. It's like it's a forty nine dollar Canadian, and and that way they can play with cocktails and. Uh, and a lot of the expression were in the direction of rum cocktails, like tiki cocktails, thinking replacing rum for these uh, bare face. It was absolutely amazing, like a Mai Tai and uh, all these orgiat combinations. They are very nut with the nuttiness of this uh, whiskey. So that's what I plan to do with the, with the brand is really uh, always showcase things we can do uh, that no one else is doing. And I think there is such a space for innovation whiskey. So it's, it's really all about that. So it's been so far absolutely fun. Uh, it sounds exciting. I mean, and you don't really get this kind of innovation often in whiskey because like you're saying, if you are making a bourbon, they really have to sometimes bend some of the rules or 
try to come up with something that doesn't quite violate a rule to change anything. And oftentimes that equates to they just finish something differently or they just age it for longer because that's within the rules and it should make it taste differently. So it sounds like you're having a lot of fun with Bareface. Yeah, a lot. Maybe sometimes too much, but I think it's been like, and the process has been always from the innovation side. We're not like, uh, we didn't run a consumer research to see if mushrooms are trending. You know, I don't, that's not the way it works in the brand. The brand is very like spontaneous and we collaborate with a lot of people. Right now I'm about to embark into a travel to a very strange island. And then I'm and I connected with some foragers and I don't know what I'm going to find. I'm going to just fly with like uh, bottles of whiskey high proof uh, in my backpack. I will keep it with me and we're going to go and taste and see what, what else what's happening there. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. So for the bartenders who are out there who are listening, if someone comes up and says, Oh, I see on the menu this bottle called Bareface, or they can see it on the, on the back bar, and it's a really cool-looking bottle. Would you say that it, it would speak more to, like, a, a rye drinker or a bourbon drinker, or can it really appeal to both? It's right in the middle because you get the sweetness from the corn, and also the, uh, but then you have the complexity and spice with rye without having these uh, green notes you get a lot from rye especially when the rice is not really old, right? So it's kind of in that middle space in which you have spice and you have an incredible integration with this one because it's so, since I use only the wine cask only once, you have so much influence that when you combine in a Manhattan with any wine component you use, you get a, an extremely good integration. My favorite cocktail is the Boulevardier. Realistically, it's absolutely amazing with Bareface. Uh, is kind of they're born for each other. It's like it's the perfect cocktail, uh, I would say, for 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 bareface. Um, I'm gonna ask you that next, which is your favorite cocktail to enjoy it with, but it's the Boulevardier. I think for a good two years that was my go-to cocktail, no matter what bar I went to. I'm sure it drove a lot of bartenders nuts just asking them to make me Boulevardiers. And then recently, I've had a big kick on the uh, the penicillin for probably the past uh, year. Nice. Not drinking a lot, but when I have to go out, I'm like, I'm going to go for the penicillin. If, if they'll amazing. make me one. <laughs> that so, actually worked well with the mezcal one that I did. Worked really well. I was going to so, say that would probably be really interesting. So yeah. I will see if anyone I know has a bottle because I, <laughs> I want to check that. So we're speaking of innovation. Is there anything that you're developing that, you know, without giving away too much or that you're seeing in the whiskey world that, you're excited to try or excited that's becoming more prevalent? I think uh, whiskey is trying to walk away from the basic same things, right? And, and I think there is, a, there is such a space in brown spirits. And if we as an industry, we don't show consumers what we're capable in terms of innovation, we're going to lose them to other categories. It's going to just simply happen. I think what I'm seeing more and more is terroir is becoming so important as never before and, and proper terroir, not, not like marketing terroir. And I'm seeing experimentation with places, exposures, and also the grains. There is a lot of more research is like, where is this coming from? And, and 
And think about with the blockchain, you could determine exactly what is the harvest year of a specific grain. So transparency, terroir are things that I think are going to become really relevant for people. But also flavor needs to evolve way there. Like I think there is a, uh, when you go for a whiskey flavor wheel, there is so much complexity into a whiskey and, and we should start developing more extreme expressions of what you can taste and experience. So it's super interesting to move away from just oak, I think. So there are like uh, wood varietals that are really interesting to explore. Of course, wood, you need to dry it and you need sometimes three years to five. But there is a, a, certainly an opportunity there. Think about consumers are also, they are exploring other spirits and, uh, and they're getting used to also other more funky characters. So I, I think there is more funk coming to whiskey soon, I think. Uh, not in a Jamaican style way, but uh, I would say there is going to be more of that. So that's the way I see it is really more uh, extreme flavors more terroir and more transparency. I think this is kind of the big things that are happening and, uh, to me. So speaking of flavors, before we go, is there, are there foods or dishes that you think really pair well with different expressions of Airface? Yeah, with triple oak, I would say barbecue, uh, anything with bacon works fantastic. I think there is also an, a, like a, an apricot balsamic-like kick is super nice and makes it more drinkable with food. So I drink Berfis in a glass of wine, realistically, I love it. And, uh, and, and I think everything that is smoked meat works absolutely amazing, but also mushrooms, for sure. Again, I'm coming from my country where I was born, Venezuela. We used to be a big, big whiskey country, and we used to consume a lot of whiskey per capita. And uh, whiskey was part of the the typical meal when you go to a steakhouse, realistically. That was the go-to. And I think uh, uh, whiskey can perfectly play in a, in a space with food, absolutely. Uh, we did a tasting with Berfis in which we, I brought actually the components. So every component had a pairing from the chef. It was fantastic. But again, at the end of the day, the triple oak, elementally age, is barbecue 100%. It's like, that's what you want to drink with. Is, is great because the oak spice components are really integrate well with, with the barbecue. I'm enjoying that too. I think a lot of the, the newer brands or newer blenders are looking at the culinary component of whiskey, which is great because you can tie the bar into the kitchen and come with these great pairings and these great meals and promotions. So having those notes in Bareface. I would say the whole thing works really well for bars and restaurants. Yeah, and they should, they should fat wash, like from a bartender perspective, that is what I would do, is fat wash Bareface with like something really interesting, right? So I did a, a salted butter version once. I was in France and I'm like, let's try this. This butter is so good. Let's fat wash some Bareface. So it's, it's very texture rich. So that's why it holds into food like a wine in some ways. And it's not too strong in the front, so it doesn't really get in the middle with the food because it's really on the back. I love it. So the, the brand is Bareface. The American bottle is right now is, uh, is the Triple Oak. We were speaking with Master Blender Andres Fastinelli. Andres, thank you so much for your time. This was awesome. Thank you. It sounds like your brand is just really 
fun and bold, and I love what you're doing. Thank you very much. This uh, was amazing conversation, and uh, and again, looking forward for maybe next year when we have a new one, uh, we can reconnect for sure. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Bar Hacks podcast produced by KRG Hospitality and hosted by me, David Clement. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Follow us on Twitter at Ask Bar Hacks and Instagram at Bar Hacks. Talk to you soon.